and welcome to this episode of Cargo Facts Connect, the podcast of Cargo Facts, the newsletter record for the air cargo and freighter aircraft industries for over 40 years. I'm your host, Andrew Kreider, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Alexi Matsutsev, the CEO and co-founder of Natalis. Alexi, great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Congratulations. Earlier this week, Nautilus announced a partnership with ZeroAvia, and that's for hydrogen power plants for your Kona cargo aircraft. Now, my take on the drone industry is there's a lot of demand for hydrogen, but some say as far as the larger aircraft goes, doing both unmanned uh, aircraft uh, removing the pilot from that uh, from the flight deck and pursuing sustainable efforts such as hydrogen, that's a challenge. How, how are you going to address that challenge? It's a great question, Andrew. So from our perspective, being the airframer, um, our goal is to integrate engine technology into the airplane. Um, obviously, we're partnering with Pratt & Whitney Canada as well. So the, the Zero Avia engine is a is an option for our future customers that are a little bit more forward thinking on sustainability efforts. So from our perspective as an airframer, you know, our focus is on autonomy and getting the blended wing body design working. Um, but, you know, integrating an engine is something that we do every day, especially the solution that Zero Avia proposed. It's very traditional in a lot of ways. It naturally fits into the blended wing body airframe. And especially, you know, hydrogen is focused on volume, whether it's cryogenic or gaseous. And so being a blended wing body design, we still have open base within the airplane. And so it allows us to do a very simple integration of hydrogen technology when uh, Zero Avia comes onto the market with certification. Now, you mentioned that the hydrogen plays well into the blended wing body design, but why, why hydrogen as opposed to electric? Uh, so hydrogen is not uh, that sensitive to weight. Uh, batteries are. Um, the latest battery technology is sitting at 250 watt hours per kilogram. Um, you know, Jet A is still about 12,000 watt hours per kilogram. So we're very far away from electrification for large scale airplanes. I know there's a lot of companies working on that. Um, so the near term is likely hybrid, but Nautilus wants to focus, you know, not on the hybrid side of things either. You know, we get something done today, which will be the Pratt & Whitney solution with, with SAF, or we move directly into the next generation, I would say, of propulsion, which in our opinion is hydrogen. So just kind of closing the loop on that is hydrogen is not as weight sensitive as battery lithium technology is today. Now, Zeravia, this is the CA600 engine. Um, tell tell me what you think of that 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 air that engine's performance. And so far, it's it's still early in its its development. It is early in its development, but it's been in a variety of test stands. Um, so there's performance data available on it. Uh, we get excited about that data. Um, I think it performs very uh, favorably, I would say, uh, against other kerosene-based engines. Um, what really is cool about that engine is that it's very modular. So, uh, you know, the way that they have it kind of figured out is that the core blocks are there, but you can uh, add more core blocks together uh, to either increase or decrease horsepower or kilowatt hours. I'm sorry, not kilowatt hours, but kilowatt. Uh, engine performance to get you to the right level where you want to be. Um, so although it's, you know, early stages still and uh, the airplane Kona will debut with, you know, kerosene-based PT6A engines, uh, shortly after where we do see an opportunity to really start thinking about um, a type, a supplemental type certificate with with the Z, I'm sorry, the, Z, <laughs> the Zero Avia technology. 
but yeah, we do believe the solution that they have going on on the modular side, as well as where they are positioned in the market, is really what's creating this opportunity for not only our platform uh, as a company, uh, but also for you know forward-thinking sustainability customers. Now, do do you think that there's going to be a a change or significant change in performance between the PT6As and um, the Zeravia platform? I think Zero Avia's engineering team is uh, very, uh, they're really cognizant of the current engine technology based on the kerosene-based engines. And so they tried to match that uh, as, as well as they could. And so I think there is a little to no difference uh, from an airplane performance perspective when switching from uh, the hydrogen solution to kerosene or vice versa on the airframe side. Now, one of the reasons why I asked yeah, about performance was by my track, the Kona has improved its performance um, slightly as we've been publishing stories about its development over the past year. Uh, it was originally 3.8 tons. Now you're you're looking somewhere close to the ballpark of what was it, 4.2, I believe. Yeah, I think it's 4.3, but you're you're right there on the mark. Uh, so when we usually design airplanes from our experience as engineers, we usually publish, you know, because we don't know too much about the airplane when we get started, uh, we publish more conservative data. And obviously, as the airplane gets more mature, we learn more about it. We pull some of the conservatism back and it's only going to get better, I think, for uh, our future customers. So it's, uh, I guess, in our engineering speak or the way that Nautilus performs, it's a natural way of, of you know, opening up the performance of the airplane to the world. You mentioned learning about the aircraft, and it was about a week and a half or so ago that you announced that you had a test flight of your scale prototype. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what's been going on as far as the testing that you've, you've gone, and what is that telling you? Right. So the, the testing of the, the scale prototype uh, did a couple of things for us. Uh, Nautilus has been through three uh, really great wind tunnel tests. We've learned a lot. Um, but it was also time to kind of put that more into, uh, I guess, uh, experimental test setting. So building this scale prototype um, really allowed us to understand how accurate the wind tunnel data is against actual build, as well as start to think a little bit further of how you integrate the autopilot inside of that during flight testing. So this uh, small RC airplane, um, we have very big plans for it, especially working with the autopilot group on our side and helping integrate that into flight. And so that's really what I think the learning lessons from us was. The takeaway was it was went really close to wind tunnel uh, data testing. Um, we figured out which areas we're a little bit more sensitive on as far as manufacturing for the larger build. And then uh, moving towards the future, we see this platform kind of being a really good test bed for the autopilot group. How would the, the platform help test the autopilot? So from my perspective, uh, you know, the, the airplane was designed to be uh, flown without any complex autopilot system. So it's essentially open loop, um, which is required by the FAA. Um, but we wanted to expand that further is uh, with the autopilot team is closing the loop and allowing full autonomy to actually drive the airplane. So right now where we are is we have the wind tunnel data feeding into a simulated environment and uh, we can fly the airplane through all phases of flight fully autonomously in that simulated environment. But when you actually start putting hardware with that simulation, there is a uh, lag during uh, servos, you know, sensors have different uh, noise levels. It kind of brings it onto the more realistic level where we start to see actual realistic flight test data feeding the autopilot, which then controls the airplane. 
and there's a lot of learning to do on that side. That, that's 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 incredible. Um, I, you know, when you would first when, when when there's drone companies that test scale models or prototypes, um, there's a there's a sense that it's involved with capital fundraising or to your investments to to keep people on the line to think yes we're we're developing a product but this this is sounding like a a scientific platform um and for that i'm wondering how is it that your your staff knows how to interpolate this data from the scale model um into programming as autopilot Right, so um, our team is, you know, very experienced, I would say, especially in the autopilot regime. We've been through quite a bit of flight testing programs and, you know, knowing the value of moving away from simulation into actual hardware, albeit scaled, allows the autopilot team to start preparing um, the autopilot for noise and then again lag within certain configurations, as well as mistakes that the autopilot could make. Uh, essentially failure case scenarios that helps us guard against flight testing in the future airplane. Now, with that being said, we understand that the, the full-scale airplane is going to have its own, um, you know, different sensors and actuators and things like that, but at least the building blocks of having those filters set up within the autopilot code and those FAMOs exist allows us to take that next step forward. And you mentioned the team. I, I know um, it, it, it's hard to believe that you'd only moved to your new headquarters uh, or your new hangar uh, at Browns Field uh, last year, and so much has happened since. But where's the team at? How how large um, have you have you grown? Have you shrunk? Where where where's the team at in its growth? Yeah, we're still kind of the same level today. Uh, we're making really good progress of where we are, but we're starting to scale up. I imagine we're going to be about 30 heads before the end of the year, and then likely in another six months, so in a year, we'll be about 40 heads. And that's a really comfortable number for us. We tend to hire more experienced engineers. Um, so for us, it's uh, you know keeping the team smaller and tighter really allows us to push through with really great progress without getting the bureaucracy really involved. It's a small and tight team, but you have quite an impressive resume of orders. I know um, the, I, I was at um, Nashville for the Air Freight Forwarders um, Air Cargo Conference in 2023, shortly after um, you, uh, Ameriflight had announced their order, and that's, that sent shocks through the crowd. You also have uh, orders from Volatus, who told me last last week that they were they were mulling ordering more um that's a, these are some head turning customers uh for the drone market and for the greater air freight community how are you marketing such a envisionary platform well i think it goes back to the numbers uh so the numbers and the performance metrics behind the airplane uh, speak for themselves um and it's not that we cast magic shadows and say oh my gosh drag is going to be 70 percent less or you know the weight of the airplane is going to be magically weighed less than any other airplane on the market. It's just the way we package the technology and you know really push the blunt wing body towards this very specific niche in the market, specifically cargo, uh, really allows us without you know um, doing a lot of black wand type of stuff, create believers out of our customers. So the numbers themselves make a lot of sense, um, and that's really what gets our customers excited, as well as our progress. You mentioned the RC flight. 
Um, you know, obviously it's an engineering milestone, but you know, customers seeing and believing that this configuration can actually fly without any complex autopilot systems uh, really moves the needle as far as sales goes as well. And as far as seeing this actually um, capable of flight, moving into physical construction. Um, now we just reported that uh, you had begun the manufacture of its flight control services. Tell me a little bit about that process. What it's like to take something from design to actual construction. So we did it with the vertical tails. Uh, that was a crew of maybe two or three engineers who designed the vertical tail and then moved into the hangar facility and actually built it. Uh, you know, minimal tooling, minimal uh, supplier base. So it was it was really done in house, which is I'm really proud of as a team um, that we were able to accomplish that. So the two vertical tails are done. Uh, moving forward ahead, even though the majority of the prototype structure is actually carbon. Um, sheet metal is one of our internal capabilities. So as we move across the control surfaces, they're really easy first picking uh, for making them out of sheet metal. So those drawings have been already released for the ailerons, and so we're starting to build uh, ailerons uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we just recently brought CNC machining capability in-house so that now we're not dependent on CNC suppliers um, and we're we're making it happen. I mean, it's the it's what we know how to do is, is build things. And when you're when you're building the flight controls for a blended wing body, which is a new aircraft type, how, did, does does that differ or change from a conventional aircraft? Well, we have different positions, so we don't have horizontal tail as an example, but we still have you know elevators turned into elevons, we call them. So we have two elevons uh, on either side of the wing. We still have traditional ailerons. So certain things do change. Um, more of what the control surface does, less than what it looks like. Sure. It's the same control surfaces on your scale model? Exactly right, yep. The reason why I ask is uh, on, on, on my RV-12, we have flapperons, and there's a nasty nose-down pitch whenever you engage the first set. And um, it is important to, to know those, those nuances of the, of the, the model from real-world flying. Um, so you have that with your scale. Exactly right. So uh, a lot of that know-how uh, comes from the wind tunnel testing, and you know the experimental world is really good at building and then fixing things in flight. Um, you know our airplane is so big, we kind of had to get ahead of it. So that wind tunnel testing, we made sure that there's no nasty pitch changes, no gotchas, um, and then that's kind of what was mimicked in the RC, uh, you know, subscale model as well. So it kind of gives us a really good feeling that uh, we're on the right track and we know kind of what to expect when the first uh, full-scale prototype actually gets on gear. Now, the the, the coma has become popular on um, for cargo operators who currently already operate a fleet of conventional aircraft. And I think it's it's very common for any cargo airline to wonder how will a new type, whether that would be an Airbus or a Boeing, uh, integrate with their current arrangements. Now, they're still on in development, but um, how do you think the Kona integrates? It's a great conversation to have with our customers. Um, I think the key technologies, obviously the airplane looks different, um, but what really, when you open up the scans and you actually look on the internals, we use exactly the same supplier bases, a lot of you know these other airplanes that are in their current fleet. So when you think about maintenance operations, um, all of those components inside the airplane are very well understood and familiar. Uh, like an example, the cargo loading system is coming in from Collins uh, in Jamestown. So it's a ball and mat system with latches. Everybody understands how that works, how it looks, how to maintain it, what to expect from it. 
So it's really just the unique shape and the way the airplane, again, really just looks is, is the new novel thinking. But uh, from an operations perspective, as well as, you know, bringing the airplane into a fleet of other airplanes, um, it's, it's I would say it's very uh, benign and very well uh, understood and accepted. Uh, and we did a great job as far as that goes. I mean, we use ex existing ground support equipment, whether it be high loaders or, or things like that, standard air freight containers. As an example, existing engine technology for the kerosene-based stuff. So I, you know, it looks different, but on the inside and, and the way you you work it, it's uh, it's the same. Well, before we wrap up, let me ask you very open-ended, what's next? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think we'll have some really exciting announcements before the end of the summer. Um, working a lot of angles right now with a lot of future customers and uh, other uh, different opportunities as well for the company and our products uh, and really looking forward to announcing them. So I think you'll see a lot more in the business side and then um, also on the technology side. I think before the end of the summer, we'll have some really big news to to also announce. Perfect. Well, We'll be on the lookout for that news. That is all the time we have for today. For more multimedia coverage like this, search CargoFacts.com and CargoFacts Connect on iTunes and Spotify. Lexi, thank you so very much for joining me this evening. Thank you, Andrew.